All right, hey, why don't you go grab your Bibles, go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one is where we're gonna be this morning. Ephesians chapter one, we're continuing in a series all the way through the book of Ephesians. This is our second sermon in this series. So, so grab your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna be in verses 15 to the end of the chapter. As you're turning there, have you, have you ever asked yourself this? Have you ever asked this question? God, what are you doing? I mean, honestly, in church, I don't ask that. God, what are you up to? Anybody? You, like, like, like maybe you've just watched the news. God, what are you up to in our world? Or, or maybe you don't even have to watch the news. You just watch your toddler. Like, God, what are you up to, right? Just the craziness of my, my home. Maybe you, you look at your own life circumstances and you're asking that question. God, what are you doing? What are you up to? And as we seek to live our life in this world, that, that, that question, God, what are you up to? It's a very important question to ask. In Acts chapter three, verse 21, it says this. Here's what God's up to. His whole purpose is this, that, that God is on mission for the renewal of all things. I don't know about you, but man, I need to hear that. I have some things in my life that I'm like, God, I could use some renewal here right now. This is where I need you to do that work. Things in my heart, in my life. God, I need this renewed. That, that we would know that, God, what are you up to? And he would say this, I'm making all things new. All the things that we see around us, things that are, are separated or, or devastated or, or, or devoured or, or destroyed by sin, that, that in Christ, God's saying, I'm making all things new, including you and me. Now, if you were really good Christians, you would say amen to that, right? That's cool. It's all right. Too late. You missed it. You, no, I'm, right? Like, like that he's making all things new, including you and me, making us new. There you go. I gave you the opportunity. Awesome. All right. Listen, in, in the verses we're gonna unpack this morning, Paul's praying that our eyes would be wide open to that reality. Wide open to the grace of God that's making all things new. And, and Paul just doesn't want us to see it. In fact, you get your Bibles open. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, it says this. It says, he's praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened. That, that we would experience that this, this grace, this steadfast love of God. In Psalms, it says this, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, that's not just knowing, that's not just seeing, like taste it. Like, like, like it's one thing to have this mental understanding that, that chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream tastes great. Like I know that, but to have it in my mouth, to taste it, that, that's something different, Right? And Paul is praying this, I want you to know this, to, to taste this, to, to know about God's love poured out on you because when you know this, that changes everything. That we would see God's majesty with the eyes of our heart. We'd see his glory. We'd see his love for us to know that's what's gonna change my heart. It's gonna create a love in us, a love for him, a love that, that drives out all the craving that we have for sin, all these lesser loves we have, that, that, that this new love now, now filling us up. It's, it's gonna be a love that, that overflows into a love for others. That God's whole purpose in making all things new is, is not that he's trying to create a, a bunch of religious rule followers. No, he's calling people out who would worship and love him. In fact, if you were with us last week, the, we covered the first 14 verses where Paul busts out in this, this outpouring of praise. 
It's this crazy, long, run-on sentence of a guy overwhelmed by God's grace. And, and now he's stopping. After he does that, after he pours all that out, he's now stopping to pray. And here's how I kind of picture it. It's, it's, it's like Paul's heart, heart is so full. He, he can't contain the worship and, and, and joy. He, he's like a kid who just got back from Disney World. He's telling you all about it. And you can't stop. And, and you're like, whoa, whoa, Paul, slow down, man. He's like, no, 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 don't you get it? Like, you're chosen and changed and loved and blessed. Like, are you, do you understand this? And it's almost as he's shifting now into verses 15 to 23. I, I kind of get this idea of Paul is saying all this, and he's looking at us, and we're kind of like, hmm. He's like, you guys don't get it. So he turns from praise to prayer. Look at verse 15. For this reason, everything I just laid out, all these things he's poured out in worship goes, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's now turning to prayer. And why? He says, for this reason. What reason? Well, the reason he's laid out. What reason do I have to worship? What reason do I have to pray? And he's given us these reasons. Listen, you're chosen. God chose you. You're forgiven. God forgave you. You're predestined, you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I mean, this whole idea of the gospel laid out in those first 14 verses can be very hard to comprehend. So Paul's praying for us. And I wonder if he's praying for, for two kinds of people because I kind of think there are two kinds of people that, that, that need our eyes opened up to the reality of this, that, that when we hear somebody pour out praise in the gospel where, where it doesn't actually affect us, and one of those would be the kind of people who would think there's no way that this applies to me. You don't know about who I am. You don't know the brokenness and the sin and the destruction of my life. There's no way that God could have love for me. Like, Paul, I get it that you believe it, but, but I don't know about me. And we're caught in doubt. And Paul said, man, I want to pray that you get what the gospel is. Now, there's a, a second kind of person who may be here in this room where, who this doesn't affect him. And that's someone who hears Paul lay out this whole explosion of joy in the gospel. And you go, well, of course. I get it. I got it. Like all the talk of sinners, I mean, that, that doesn't apply to me. I mean, I mean, like really, does God have wrath towards my sin? I don't think so. And, and maybe you've been raised in church your whole life and you're, you're kind of crushing it as a Christ follower right now. And you're like, whoa, whoa, Paul, calm down. God loves us, I get it. And we forget that our sin was so great that Jesus had to die. Yeah, like I know some people who are sinners, but that not me, and you miss the joy of the gospel. And so Paul stops, and he's moved into this prayer saying, you gotta know this. Before Paul moves into any instruction or correction in this letter, he just worships. Now, Paul was an incredibly smart guy. One of the best missionaries that ever existed, but he wasn't some, some stoic theologian. He wasn't a stuffy missionary. Listen, Paul was filled with joy that the doctrine and theology that he knew, it didn't stop at his head. It caused his heart to overflow in worship. 
So if Paul were in our church, he would be the one teaching our doctrine classes. He'd be the one teaching and leading in the church, but he would also be the dude in the front of the church on Sunday morning, hands extended high, tears flowing down his face as he thinks about the gospel, about the one who he's worshiping. Our life as Jesus followers begins there. It begins with worship. It's it's why one of our key five priorities as a church is this, that we would be a church that's passionate in worship. It's why we don't just call Eric our song leader. He's our worship pastor, leading us to to lift our hearts in worship. My, My whole goal as a preacher is not that you would walk out of here on a Sunday morning saying, I've learned something new today, It's not even that you'd be challenged, although I do want us to grow in knowledge and understanding. I I do want us to be serious about God's word. It's why another one of our priorities is that that we are centered on the word. It's why we walk verse by verse through God's word. And I'm praying all week, God, make your word clear on Sunday morning as it goes out. But, But this isn't just a lecture. I don't want us to leave here just with more knowledge. My aim through, through, through prayer, through a work of God's spirit this morning as we gather together is that we would leave here worshiping. Amen. That, that, that we would have this, this Lord, I, I'm seeing more and more afresh, even this morning, how glorious that you are. Amazed at what you've done for me. So we walk out of here with this this renewed sense of his power, of his glory, of his love. Because listen, life change, life change. Listen, it always begins with worship. My life changes by what I worship. If, If you love something, you don't need convincing to be fully engaged in it. My whole goal on Sunday is to open God's word and pray Paul's prayer here. God, open our eyes to see you. Because that sight changes everything. We start to see who God is, this amazing, unbelievable reality of the gospel, this this good news that in Jesus, you are loved, you are accepted, you are changed, you are empowered. When that fills your heart, all the things that would captivate your heart, all the false idols, all the the false saviors, they, they suddenly begin to lose their grip on you. I believe this with all my heart that the only thing that can break the captivating power of sin is for a something in our life that's even more captivating, an intense love for Jesus. And Paul, in chapters four to six, man, he's gonna cover a lot of instruction. We're gonna, we're gonna see how the implications of this gospel uh, uh, work in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our relationships, in our workplace. But he starts with this prayer that we would see the good news of the gospel. I mean, how much do we need this? Don't you feel like we live in a world just full of cynics and critics, do we not? I'm often one of them. I mean, how how often do do you walk away from watching the news or scrolling through some kind of political social media post and you feel like, I love life. We live in a world where it's so easy to step back and to, and to criticize everybody. We, we have a platform to do it. It's called Facebook, right? And what scripture here is laying out for us, that, that whatever's going on out there in the world, whatever's going on in your life, whatever's happening even on the global stage in politics and, and economics, whatever's going on out there or in here, 
No matter what, as Jesus followers, we have a different view. God, you're making all things new. God, you are all powerful over all of this. And so, so our first go-to then is not critique. Our first go-to isn't self-reliance. Our first go-to then every day is worship and praise and on our knees in prayer in awe of the gospel. And listen, as Paul's writing this letter, he's not living in an easier time. The government was, was completely corrupt. It, it was a, a, a world filled with greed and, and, and sexual sin. The church was literally being persecuted. Paul's not writing this letter from a Disney princess cruise, right? He's in prison. After being shipwrecked and flogged and stoned, not in the legalized pot way. I'm talking like real stones thrown at you, trying to kill you. And yet Paul erupts in praise. That no matter how out of control life may seem, Jesus has made a way for us to be in a right relationship with God, that, that we would know him, we would follow him, we would depend on him. And Paul's prayer for us here in Ephesians, that our eyes would be wide open to the reality of the good news of the gospel. He says, for this reason. That our eyes would be opened to the reality of what we already have. I mean, so often we pray for what we don't have. And, and Paul's more concerned. No, my, my concern, Paul's saying, is that you, you would stop forgetting that you wouldn't realize what you already have. I mean, are you aware of everything you have because of Christ's work for you on the cross? That, that you're already loved. You're already forgiven. You're already chosen, predestined, adopted. You've already been filled with the Spirit. He says, for this reason. I mean, if you, if you get anything out of this sermon or as we walk through the first three chapters of Ephesians, that you would, you would remember this, that it's our identity before our activity, that we're gonna get to the activity, but Paul's way more concerned. You don't know who you are and you don't know whose you are. God doesn't demand that we work for our identity, but we work from our identity, that our life was birthed out of who we are in Christ Jesus. And so many of our struggles come from forgetting that for this reason. When you go through those first 14 verses of Ephesians, and you see that, that, listen, this is amazing. God is the subject of every single verb. God is the one doing all the giving. We're doing all the receiving. In a ministry I ran before pastoring, I would take a group of college students and we would do a five-week canoe trip down the Buffalo National River in Arkansas. And um, after about two weeks in the river, we would end up in this little town called Gilbert, Arkansas. And, and, and we, would, we would go up into the town there and there was this little church. We'd always get there on a, Sunday, on a Saturday night because on Sunday morning, we'd go to this little church, Zion's Light Baptist Church. There's less than 20 members in this church and we would roll in about 50 of us. We, so like tripling the size of their church, right? I'm not good at math, but is that triple? Whatever, right? And, and every year we would roll in and they would throw for us this church picnic after church. Less than 20 members, but they were all like southern old ladies, all right? So, I mean, it was incredible. Just fried chicken, potato salad, cornbread, and, and a whole table just for dessert, right? Now, now picture it, though. We roll in after weeks on the river. We did not smell nice. We did not look nice. And we brought nothing to the potluck. And we got everything. 
We gave nothing. Listen, that's your salvation. You show up at the cross. You do not smell nice at the cross. You do not look nice at the cross. And you show up and you see Jesus with this, this banquet of blessing. And we say, but I, I don't have anything to bring. Well, the only thing I've got is my sin. And, and I deserve nothing but God, your wrath against my sin. And God says, I'll take your sin. And I'll give you my righteousness. Listen, for this reason. Paul goes on to say, he says, I, I, I can't stop giving thanks for you also. Why? Because I've heard for your love for all the saints. You see where this goes, this, this love that fills us bends outward now. And I would say the, the greatest marker of a healthy church is not their finances, it's not their ability to communicate clearly, it's not their leadership structure, it is their love for each other. Man, in a world that is so divided, so polarized, so angry, I mean, th think about how, how a church can shine in the midst of that. A church that's giving each other grace and mercy and unmerited favor, love for one another. Listen, when you get Ephesians chapter 1, 1 to 14, when that's implanted deep into your heart, that love that you're receiving is going to bend outwardly. And, and listen, if you find it hard to forgive, if, if you find it hard to let go of, of grudges, if you find it hard to live with grace and compassion, if you find it hard not to be a critic, spend more time in verses 1 to 14 to get to a place of awe and worship of who Jesus is and what he's done. All right, we gotta keep moving. Let's, let's go on in Paul's prayer, verse 17. He's praying, he's praying this. He prays that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying for this, this wisdom and, and revelation, this, this knowledge, but it's, it's, not, it's not Paul praying. It's, it's not praying, hey, hey, I hope God makes you smarter than you actually are. Some of you are like, we pray for that for our pastor all the time. I get it, all right? <laughs> He's not praying that we'd be smarter or more intelligent or that we'd have more information. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would be active in our lives. The, the one who can illuminate, the one who can open our eyes to the truth, the one who can give wisdom and revelation. And what's the wisdom and revelation in? What's he say? In the knowledge of him. To know God. That, that word knowledge there, it's, it's, it's kind of different than how we would use knowledge in English. And in, in the Greek, it's not just a head knowledge. It's not information. It's, it's relationship. In the way that you would say, I'm growing to know my spouse. That's the kind of knowledge. My, my girls used to be pretty amazed that um, there was a Christian author. He's not so famous anymore, but um, he, he'd mentioned Libby and I in a couple of his books. And they were like, do you know him? And they are like, just so amazed, Right? Like, Christian celebrities, they're one step below Scott Baio. Like, it's not that big of a deal, right? But, but yeah, like, we, we hung out with him, and I knew him, like, 15 or 20 years ago. But, and if we, if we bumped into each other, he'd probably be like, hi, hey, how are you? But I don't know him. I know about him. I follow his Instagram. I've read his books. And I think often we can treat God in the same way, can we not? Where, where we know information about him. You may even would say, yeah, I used to know God in a real deep way. Paul's praying this. No, I pray that you have a deep, deep relationship with him right now. 
Before Paul moves on to the blessings of the Christian life, he's stopping here saying it's all about this, that the the God of creation wants a relationship with you. Right? The God who carved out the Grand Canyon with a finger, I can barely plow my driveway when it snows too much. Right? That God of creation wants a relationship with you. I mean, the word of God you're holding right now. When you look out at, at, at creation, the mountains, the hills, the stars, the sunsets, all of that, the, the birds in the sky, all of it showing God's glory to us. And his whole plan in all of that was this, that, that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with the one thing that separates us from a relationship with him, our sin. This whole first chapter is about us knowing this amazing God, that we would grow in in deeper affection for him. And by by doing that, it would change the way we think, change the way we speak, change the way we live. It It would move us to take this same love out to the world. He goes on in his prayer, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. He's saying, I want the eyes of your heart open to these things, to, to really see it, to, to deeply understand, to understand it at the level that it actually changes you. So that, so that when, you, when you see what's going on in the world, when you watch the news, when you mindlessly scroll through social media, when you take that deep, dark spiral dive into YouTube videos to the next and the next and the next, is your heart enlightened? Do you have a strong enough foundation? Are your eyes open to what actually really matters? Paul gives us three things. Have this clear in your heart and mind. Just have these things clear. Have an understanding of of the hope you have, of the riches and of the power. He's put these gospel glasses on. So when you look around, when when you look at everything else, that you would see these things through the gospel, that you would know, it says here, what is the hope to which he's called you? Because whatever you put your hope in, that will be the trajectory of your life, where your hope is. Self-help gurus talk about this all the time. And they're so right about it. They say, what you hope for will have a huge determination in what you you pursue and how you pursue it. So so put the plaque on your wall with what you hope for. Put the the little piece of paper on your your bathroom mirror so you can see it over and over again. And so listen, listen, if your hope is money, the whole purpose of your life will be pursuing that. Finding security in finances. If if your hope is better health, then the whole purpose of your life is going to, how do I be healthy? If your hope is success, the whole purpose of your life will be to pursue success. If If your hope is in the acceptance and praise of people, the whole drive of your life will either be a fear of people or, or, or a desire to please people. Like whatever you put your hope in, that's the trajectory. So much of our life is putting our hope in things that were never meant to bear the weight of our souls. And we are so disappointed when those things we put our hope in fail us. Paul's saying, listen, that was never supposed to be your hope. He says this, know the hope to which God has called you. Not our hope in people or stuff or success or a name for ourselves or our health. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in his life lived for us, his death in our place, his resurrection to bring us new life. Our hope needs to be rooted in the right things. 
We have to have this hope because here, here's the deal. Following Jesus is not easy. I mean, think about it. We're called to swim against the current of our culture. If you're swimming against the current, things are going to be coming at you. Things are going to be hitting you. And when, when that stuff crashes into us, we, we shouldn't be surprised by that. We shouldn't be surprised that we're living in a world that is cursed and broken by sin. And so when that, that sin comes against us, listen, Jesus doesn't promise us that we won't ever suffer. He actually promises the opposite. But here's our hope. He says, I'll be with you in the midst of that. Jesus promises, I'll never let you go. I'll never forsake you. I'll never lose you. I'm making all things new in one day. One day, every tear will be wiped away. Every pain gone. Everything brought back into order. And one day, we'll come face to face with the one who lavishes his love on us. That's our hope. You see, worldly hope is, is based on desires that, that, that we have. Desires of, 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 I hope this happens. I hope my kid's successful. I, I, I hope my health is okay. I hope my job pays well this year. It's, it's, it's based on what we desire in the moment. But there's this gospel hope. That's, here's, a, here's the crazy thing about gospel hope. It's based on guaranteed future because of a, a already past. In Christ, you're already made new. In Christ, the rescue has already happened. Jesus lived and, 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 and died and rose again and you've been adopted and promised a guaranteed eternity. And so to walk of this Christian life, it's day by day, learning to put our hope in Jesus instead of self, instead of our circumstances. It's learning to put our hope in the promises of God instead of our preferences. I mean, look at where his hope is. Look at what he says as he carries on in this verse. He says, what are the, that we have a hope of, of what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, we can get the wording wrong here, and we're like, oh, this sounds like what he said up in verse 11, where he talked about this inheritance we get in Christ, but, but, but it's not about grace poured out on us. I don't think so, because look at whose inheritance it is. It says, the riches of his glorious inheritance. I think it's talking about God's inheritance. I mean, think about that. What, what do you get the creator of the universe? Like, what, what could God have that as he sees all that he's created, what, what would he say is more valuable than, than the earth and the stars and all the galaxies? Something, something that he would say even outweighs those things. It's a, it's a glorious inheritance. It, it stands out against everything else that is his. And it says here, it's, it's the saints. It's a bunch of messed up people. It's a bunch of sinful people. It's, it's you as a Christ follower. I mean, how humbling is that? Like, God, for real, like us, like, like this bunch of broken people trying to figure out how to live life. And, and Paul's praying, man, you should be floored by this. You should be in awe of this. You should be astonished by this. You should be filled with wonder by this. You, you should have your heart just smitten in, in value to God. That when God sees you, God feels rich. And it's so big for us as we try to grab a hold of a hope. Listen, this is a hope the world can't touch. And as much as I can't wait, and I'm sure you're the same, to see Jesus face to face, what an incredible hope that is. But now, now I would say this, pray that the Spirit of God would plant this deep in your soul, that when you see Jesus, there will be joy and delight in his eyes too. You're an inheritance fulfilled. 
When that's written on your heart deeply, it brings a hope. Everything you've hoped for pales in comparison to that reality. And someday, one day, one day, we're going to experience it in its fullness, but it's not just a one day far off hope. It's a, a hope, a future reality that invades our today, that connects with our today, that this hope invades our today. Here's my prayer, that it'll change how we view criticism. It'll change how we see shame, how we experience trials, how we respond to uncertainty in our lives. How we walk out the Christian faith. Listen, listen, here's here's the truth. You will never do enough to be worthy. We can't live up to the righteous standard of a holy God. And here's the thing, you can't even live up to your own righteous standards. It's January 15, how you doing on your resolutions, right? I've already failed some of mine. Like, like we can't even meet our own standards. My, My hope is not that I am worthy. My hope is that it's God who declares my worth. His steadfast love. His steadfast love that says this, that this busted up, struggling, sinful, weak follower, he says, I love him. I love her. I chose them. I'm sanctifying them. I'm changing them. I'm bringing them home to glory. I'm declaring them blameless. I choose to give up everything for them. On one hand, it shows we're not just struggling people in need of of another good self-help book, right? We're dead people in need of a savior. I hope it shows you the love that God pours out on you. Let's keep going. Paul wants us to know this. Look at verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the work of his, working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's saying, I want you to know power, but not your own power. He says that, that you would know his power, God's power at work in us and through us. That when Jesus says it is finished from the cross, it really was finished. The, the work now to try to impress God, it's over. It's done. You just fall down. We, we, we fall down humbly. We surrender and say, Jesus, it's all you. It's such good news. such good news to know that it's God's power. It's not my power. My prayer is we would see this, like, God, you're in control of this church. (sighs) Right? God, you're in control of my marriage. (sighs) God, you're in control of politics. God, you're in control of my family. God, you're in control of the economy. See, what happens is we lose hope when we try to exercise our own strength to see things, th- these things come to fruition, to see these things come together, and we, and we step out of the promise of God. We try to do it in our own strength, and Paul is praying, open their eyes, that they would see the hope that they have, N- not in this worldly junk, but let them see the, the breadth and the width and the depth and the length of, of God's love for us. God, let, let them see you're really in control. That we would see that God has not made one misstep or one mistake. That God's not going to waste one moment of our suffering. That God hasn't forgotten us. God is not slow in keeping his promises. In fact, look how he wraps this all up. Look at verse 20. The end of verse 19 there, it says this, the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus at the right hand of God, this this place of honor and this place of power. And God's placed all things in his authority. I mean, all things. It says over and over, all things, all things. I mean, think about what those things would be, all things. That, that, That your marriage that your finances, that, that your parenting, that your job, that, that the illness you're, you're suffering with right now, he's placed all of that under Christ's feet. Again, this is Paul saying this, a guy who's familiar with suffering. Sitting in a Roman prison, getting ready to die, and he's saying, man, I pray that you'd see what's really real. I pray that that veil that's covering your eyes would be ripped apart so you could see what's really going on in our world because the, the enemy, the accuser, the liar... That's what he's called. I mean, we say his name is Satan. It's not his name. It's just a description of him. I, mean, I love the scripture. It doesn't even give him a name. It's not worthy of a name. He's just the liar. He's the accuser. The liar's gonna lie. Paul said, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be so illuminated that you would see the hope of the gospel. You'd see the glorious riches of his inheritance. You'd see the mighty working of his power among us right now to, to be able to say, that's a lie. I know the truth. The good news that Jesus has won the victory, that it's not try harder. It's, it's lay down your arms and surrender again today. God, I've been in charge for way too long. I need you to change me. I, I, I wanna experience the power of your resurrection. And so we, re- we, we, we surrender. Listen, as the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, here's what I want us to do. Would you stand with me? Um, we're going to end in worship. But as you stand, I, I want to ask a, just a couple questions. Maybe this morning, as you hear all this, may, maybe for you, <clears throat> you're here this morning and say, I've never really grabbed a hold of this before. Maybe you've been in church for a long time, but it's never sunk in. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you're just kicking the tires of church and, and, and life's been kind of hard. Like, man, I want to know what Jesus is all about. Listen, that when you come, you come with these empty hands saying, I bring nothing to the table. You'd say, nothing I can do would make me right before God. Only Christ can do that. Maybe this morning would be the morning where you put your faith, put your trust, put your hope in Christ to save you, to save you from your sin, to save you from yourself. Maybe right now you would be praying this, Jesus, I want you to live in me. I have a sin nature and I want to exchange that for your righteous nature. And I trust that you'll do it by your name, by your grace. I could do nothing to get this, but you give it to me freely. Maybe this morning as you're here and you're I'm a Christ follower right now, my question for you would be this. What do you need to surrender today? What, what do you need to, to, to you, you've put your hope in this and, and this morning's another morning where you, you lay it down again and say, God, I, I give this to you. I, I need your hope. I lay down my fears again today, knowing you're in control. I lay down this sin that I keep running to as my hope, my savior, and and I I know that you provide everything that I need. I, I lay down my health to you, knowing you're in control. 
I lay down my battle for acceptance, knowing you've adopted me and you love me. I lay down my shame, knowing you've cleansed me and called me your child. I lay down my striving, knowing it's all about your grace. Maybe this morning it's to lay down these plans that you had and you're so angry because God has not fulfilled them, but, but you'd lay them down saying, God, I know you're on your throne and your promises never fail. Let me pray for us. Father, before anything can be made new in the world, we, we recognize that it needs to become new in our hearts first. And so I pray, I pray that even now you would illuminate, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the hope, the riches, the power, the goodness of your grace. I pray that you'd help us see what your promises are, your promises and your hope and what you're accomplishing in, in our relationships in our health, in our finances, in our, in our workplace, what, what you're accomplishing in, in our world. And I, I just pray this, Lord, that, that every person here this morning, God, that again this morning, you would woo us back to yourself into relationship with you again this morning. Father, wherever we're at, that your love, your kindness would lead to repentance. But this morning, again, we would trust you. We would see that all things are under the feet of your son, Jesus Christ. And that, Jesus, you are victorious. And that's why we pray. That's why we sing. Help us to live to your praise, to your glorious grace today. And I pray this in Jesus' name.